Let me, uh, let me start this with a, a story I heard. A CEO was scheduled to speak at an important conference. So he turned to his assistant and said, I need a punchy little presentation, about 20 minutes. Can you do that for me? And the assistant said, yeah. So the, uh, the big event came and the guy went and gave his presentation and the CEO returned to the office frustrated and furious with his assistant. And he said, I, I tell you, I don't want to hold anything back, but I told you just give me a 20-minute presentation. And halfway through my presentation, people started getting up and they were frustrated and they were leaving. And they just... And the assistant said, well, I wrote a 20-minute presentation and I gave you the two extra copies that you requested. I am not going to take an hour to get through this thing. Uh, I don't have three presentations, but I got lots of things that are going to make you frustrated because you wish we had an hour to talk about them because we're getting into some very, very significant topics. And it's been my observation since I've been back from Japan that more Christians know less of what they believe today than I thought they did 25, 30 years ago especially when you get into these camps and tribal camps and we become polarized as Christians and we're just kind of stuck in a, an understanding that we don't broaden out our, our understanding of who God is. And so today, I'm going to take, take you through some journey to talk about two horizons and one hope. And these horizons... Um, will help you understand that your call is to be one who enters into another world. The Japanese proverb says, a frog in the well doesn't know the ocean. And doesn't, if they got into the ocean, they wouldn't know how to handle that. Well, same for us. As we're getting into the New Testament story of Paul, we're finding Paul moving into other cultures, into other situations that are not Israeli, Jewish in its orientation, and yet Paul and the missionary journeys he's taking are instructive for us. And again, I would mention to you, be a disciple of the Apostle Paul. And as we're following these stories in the New Testament, uh, um, invite yourself to sit at his feet and listen and learn and ask the hard questions. Because what you see Paul doing all the way throughout is giving you an indication of what the mark of the true Christian is. And so when you watch Paul at work in the Thessalonians, which we'll do here in a minute, ask God to do the very same thing in your heart. So last week, we got into 1 Thess 4. And again, the, the, the primary door that he's going through in 1 Thess chapter 4 is how to live in order to please the Lord. And as he's, as he's talking about that passage in 1 Thess 4, it came across in our study last week. He says, finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. And he says in 4.1, as you've received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, so that you can excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I thought to myself, self, 
if I were to take Paul and what Paul says, uh, and I'm going to command you, I command you to be at church 6.30, Wednesday night for a Bible. All of the church, I command you. Well, that wouldn't play well in American culture. We don't like people commanding. We talked about that. We don't like people who have authority over us. And yet, as we get into this issue, Paul is trying to instruct these pagan, now brothers, sisters in Christ, to follow the thinking pattern of Christ. And so you'll see in this passage in a little bit that Paul comes as an apostle, as an instructor, but he's trying to build into their lives this idea of sanctification, doing the will of God, that joy of being free from the world, free from sin and free from fear. But that's what we talked about last week. Paul said that this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. So we looked at that a little bit, but the idea about that I love about Paul is he takes these grand themes and he makes them very practical and real. And the issue for the Thessalonians was their sexuality. Now he makes, he cuts right through to their culture because there was a cult in Thessalon- Thessalonica called the Kabiri cult. But those things that they were doing there apply to what's going on in our world today. So the themes are there, but what Paul was saying that you walk in love to please God and the theme about love precedes the theme about sexuality. And what I mentioned last week is that sexuality meant you're free to really, genuinely free to love, not use. People are made to be loved, things are made to be used. When you start loving things, you start using people. And that's true physically, that's true relationally, it's true emotionally, financially. You're going to use people or you're going to be free to love people. And so there's where Paul was. That's where we left off last week. But I just wanted to say, uh, I wanted to give you the the scriptures that we, you may have heard, but you may have forgotten, but you need to pass these on. Because David said, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can an old man keep his way pure? How do you keep purity or freedom or sanctification to please God in a way? Well, David says, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if I'm listening to the Spirit, I'm listening to learn how to love, I'm listening to the instruction that the Spirit is directing me to, commanding me to, but I'm also looking for how he handles the temptation in the world. So Paul would say, no temptation has overtaken you such as common demand, but God is faithful. And you gotta hear that. You're not alone in your battle whatever the battle is. And so God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way, way out so that you can endure it, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. And of course, you go back into the Old Testament, and David would say, blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. 
And that's what we do in Kairos. We sit in those seats and we hear those guys, but we bring something different because they do walk in the way of the wicked and they don't know how to delight in the law of the Lord. They don't know how to meditate or hear the spirit or hear the shepherd. But the one who does is like that tree planted by the water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. All right, that's just the preliminary thoughts. I want to give you three ideas today. The three ideas I'm going to take real briefly, but I want to share these ideas and that will stimulate your thought and we'll bring them up as we deal with them later on. But the three ideas that the Thessalonians learned and that we are to learn is one, that there are two horizons. And the two horizons, as we'll look at that, then we'll look at how Paul, as an apostle and as a prophet, it's a new idea for, for me about Paul. And then we're going to talk about this big word, and you may want to throw a shoe at me because we don't get into it very much, but I'll just open the door of this word called eschatology. And that's got lots of implications for us, but it's about our biblical hope. And so I'm going to have to share with you uh, without the screen because my computer didn't catch all those pictures. So, But I'll go back to this idea. The problem of two horizons. In 1993, a man came to Michigan uh, University of Michigan, and there were a group of campus ministers, and the guy's name was Parker Palmer. Parker was an educator, and he just had uh, he had written a book, <clears throat> and uh, he came to speak in that book to a group of group of us, about fifty of us, and his book is called "To Know as We Are Known." This is a spirituality of education. And in that book, Parker Palmer made a point, and I've, I've remembered this ever since, and I think about it today. He said, we have an idea, when we think about knowledge of life, we have an idea that life will take place on another shore. Life takes place down the road. That, that which we're doing here is just training or preparation. You've heard that the suffering is going to prepare you for later on. But the idea is that life is not now. Life is down there somewhere. The grass is greener over there. The idea that when I'm a teenager, I can't wait to get my car, because if I get my car, that's life. If I get my girlfriend, that's life. If I get my career, that's life. But where I, where I am is not life. I don't have what I want right now. But when I get that, boy, that'll be exciting. And so you move from age to age to age to age, thinking, if I just get there. And that idea of having a horizon over there. I'm not there, I don't have what I want, and I'm here and I have what I got, but I'm not satisfied any longer. The idea that Palmer would talk about would be a search for that satisfaction because you're not satisfied here on this horizon. Well, to apply that here in the church, you and I have cut our teeth on this idea 
because we believe that, we have been influenced to think that, that life takes place when I die and go home. That we sing, don't we? Uh, I'll fly away, old glory, I'll fly away. Where do I fly to? Over there. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Or when the roll is called up over there, yonder. And so our thinking is you accept Jesus Christ to get into heaven. And so the idea is that life is in heaven, and we're going to die and go to heaven. Therefore, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior to go to heaven because life is over there. But right now, we don't see this as being life in its fullness because we're on this horizon. And that's just the opposite of the biblical view when we also sing that heaven comes down and glory fills my soul. When we sing when Jesus comes into my heart and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom no, thy kingdom, when I go over to thy kingdom, when I go to thy kingdom, that's when I'll have the, the kingdom come, thy will be where? In heaven, over there. When I, get, when I get home, that's when I'll do the, when I get home, I won't have any more trouble with purity. I won't have any more trouble with temptation. Leave me out of this thing, get me over there. Our idea is we live in a split universe where this is hell on earth and heaven's up there. And I don't like this because I don't believe heaven has come down. And I'm going to say to you, most Christians will focus on other Christians or they'll focus on issues or they'll focus on the world because there is no joy in their soul. And a lot of Christians pretend that God has done more for them than he really has. For a lot of Christians, I always think, well, when I get, when I quit smoking, when I get rich, when I become spiritual, but right now, I'm a mess. And I don't, whatever I'm supposed to be, I'm not there yet. So we have this split of thinking that, yeah, I'm not there yet. So Paul says, I want to instruct you on something. And the instruction is, you have the kingdom now. He says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not rituals, it's not tribalism, it's not joining that group. The kingdom of God has come down and heaven can fill your soul. If we believe that, then it means you have life on earth now, touched by heaven something beautiful because the Holy Spirit has invaded, interrupted, disturbed, and given you power to live in a fallen world of grace. Amazing. And so he says in First Thess 9 to 12, our passage for this morning, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Now, just a minute. What is God teaching you? If you're not listening to Paul, or an apostle, or a prophet, if you're not listening to the pastor, 
God teaches you? Does God speak to you? Does God instruct you? He says here, uh, we, don't, we don't need to write you. Why is that? Because Paul is writing from a Jewish perspective that in the end times, the Spirit of God is going to be the teacher. The Spirit of God is going to come to, as Joel would say, the Spirit is going to be poured out on all men and women, manservants and maidservants, and all the nations are going to be filled with the Spirit, and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. That's a private thing. It's a corporate thing. But the thing Paul says, he's doing that now with you Thessalonians. And Jesus has a new command I give to you that you love one another. Not as you do, but as I do. The idea that Jesus is saying, here comes heaven, and here's what I want you to experience right now. I mentioned, I think, last week, there was a girl who said I wanted to have a near-death experience. I said, you can have that right now. You can have heaven on earth right now. What? You can have a near-death experience. And so she shook her head. Because you bring heaven into the prison. You bring heaven into your relationships. You bring heaven into that conference you're going to next week. And that presence, your presence, being filled with the Holy Spirit, will give you a peace and a perspective from that horizon that says this that you're walking in a world that's not from that world, but you bring grace and peace and wisdom and power. You bring a love ability because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Like Tom said, the Holy Spirit's an extrovert. How do you say it? Living in an introvert body, you get used to it? It'd be interesting to hear what he says about that. But... But the idea that as Christ was in the world, so are you in the world. As Christ became incarnate flesh, so you become incarnate spiritually by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul would say, you've been taught by God. And what's the teaching? Love one another. That the quality of your faith is going to be manifested by the way you interact with people. So what are you like to be with? What's it like to be with you for six hours? Are you loving? Is it e- are you easy to get to know? Do you want to enter into somebody else's world like Sandy said this morning? You enter into the hospital world with crazy people saying things, but you do the listen, listen, love, love. Can you listen? Can you enter into somebody else's horizon? Or are you going to stand on yours and look at them as a spectator? What we are called to do, as Jesus does, is to move into all the other worlds around, around us. In fact, you do love all the family of, throughout Macedonia. It's not just in the box, it's out of the box. It's not just in Thessalonia. It's in Corinth, it's in Ephesus, it's in uh, Thessalonica. So no matter where you go, you are a vessel of agape love. Because if the Spirit of God is teaching you, you're learning how to love more and more. And so you're taught by God, you love all of God's family, but the goal of your interaction is to enhance and enlarge the place of your heart 
as Paul would say, and that you would make it your ambition, brothers and sisters, to lead a quiet life. Now, what's that about? It's a word that has to do with the serenity of a, of a, of a lake on a fall day that's, there's no ripple. The peace of God that passes understanding is the security that you have when you speak to people. You're not contentious. You're not angry. You're not disturbed. You don't get, uh, there's a peace, there's a quietness. And Peter says that person is beautiful on the inside. It's a precious quality. And that quality of peace is the very peace that Jesus had when he met with Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, when he entered into the other horizon. It's a peace of presence that when you move into somebody else's world, your security isn't based on what they think of you. Your security and your calmness isn't based on how well it goes. Your security is the fact that you are chosen of God, redeemed by the Lord, empowered by the Spirit, and you can enter into another world in peace. Therefore, you are called peacemakers. Leave a, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You don't have to be in competition. You don't have to be contentious. But to mind your own business and work with your own hands. And there's reference to the fact that these Thessalonians were probably blue-collar workers. Your hands has to do with your profession, your work. Whether you're on the dock unloading the boats or if you're cutting the sheep or doing the... the, the um, what do you call it with... Uh, linen and embroidery and all that stuff, um, selling purple. And, but if you, if you are, whatever work you do, you make it your business to be responsible. You do what you, God's called you to do. You do what God's gifted you to do. But there may have been a problem with people who are lazy in Thessalonians because they thought, well, Jesus is coming. I don't have to work. And so he had to motivate them to say, no, no, no. You have to understand that uh, you have to do this in order to be respected by outsiders. And therefore, what you do on earth reflects of what you think heaven has called you to do. And you give people a taste of that. Well, let me go on. <clears throat> so there's this idea that Paul is going to instruct us but the second thing that Paul talks about is that as, as it is in heaven, so are we to live on earth. And we pray on earth right now in heaven. This idea that Paul is going to bring about an understanding of that reality of heaven in terms of the eschatology. This is the tricky word because we won't get into it now but Paul is going to speak as a prophet, like Jeremiah or the men of old. From the Jewish perspective, the Jews understood there'd be prophecy, the will of God, the revelation of God, the judgment of God, the, the royal throne and the resurrection. That's Jewish eschatology. What happens at the end of times? And next week we're going to look at this end of time thinking because it affected 
the Thessalonians. Now for us today, all I want to say is this, that the way we think about eschatology is the apocalypse, the four blood moons, what's going on in Jerusalem, that is not what Paul is saying. That's there, it's part of it, but what Paul is saying is this eschatology, the end time started back on the cross. The end times when Jesus brought heaven into the present, opened up heaven and brought it into this horizon. And therefore the end times, the eschatology means that the church is to be a kingdom community reflecting what's done in heaven because of the Holy Spirit. That end times thinking, is there's lots of, lots of discussion on this. A-trib, pre-trib, post-trib, I'm pro-trib. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> but the idea that Paul, <clears throat> as a prophet, Paul understood something that the Old Testament people didn't understand, is that Jesus Christ as Messiah was not just going to be the king to set up the new Jerusalem in Israel. He was going to set it up in your heart. And that coming of the Holy Spirit in the church body is where the eschatology starts. And as a prophet, Paul is saying, I command you that you love by the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. Don't go look for it because it's within you. Therefore, the practice, when we sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This glory is yours, believer. And that glory is for you to give non-believers that same foretaste. That as you interact and enter into other people's horizons, you bring grace. You listen, listen, love, love. Well, it'll be a great day of rejoicing. But today, life is taking place today. We rejoice today. So I'm just going to leave it here today so we can go down and have some cupcakes and cider. But I just want you to know that next week, the idea that you're thinking that you, you can be fully alive with a taste of heaven now. And so the theology is, is, is not quite, we're not there, but we are here. But heaven has come down to make you alive in Christ. That's why he came. And how you live that out is how you love And the quality of your faith will be reflected in the quality of your love. That's the kingdom he commands. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you know the horizon of the head and the heart are different. You know the horizons of the flesh and spirit are different. You know the horizons of the then and now are different. You know the difference between those who have hope and those who don't. Father, I pray that as you would teach the Thessalonians to love one another and bring about the message of the gospel of you, Jesus, and that you are the one that brings about new life in Christ. Father, use us this week as we we see you open doors. Instruct us. Give us that power to follow you. And we thank you for all these things. We do ask that you would bring in our lives heaven and that we would be those reflectors to those who don't know you of Christ. So Father, again, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.